last week. That was my first time joining online, I guess. So, <laughs> uh, but, but I was with you online, and thank you for those who joined online. Uh, we're going to continue this morning uh, in, our, in the book of Deuteronomy, particularly in the passage in Deuteronomy chapter 5 that re-records the Ten Commandments. So we're going to get into that in a moment. Since moving down here to Palm Beach County, I've noticed a certain impatience that people have in traffic. Um, I've especially noticed that some people within a millisecond of the traffic light turning green expect the car in front of them to speed off like a rocket. And if that doesn't happen, then they immediately lay on the horn. Like within a millisecond. I'm not kidding. Now, I've been told by what I think is a reliable source, that the ones who do this primarily come from two states. <laughs> two states that have a lot of people who move out of them in the past years and have moved down here to Florida. Now, I don't want to call out or embarrass those two states in case anyone here has come from there, so let it just be sufficient to say that those two states both start with the word new. Just a few days ago, I witnessed this a phenomenon of impatience at the intersection of 441 and Forest Hill Drive when the guy in the truck next to me, the very second the light changed, was leaning on his horn, and as if that weren't enough, he added to the insult by screaming an obscenity out of his open window at the driver of the car in front of him. Now, I'm pretty sure the driver in the car in front of him didn't even hear that, but I did because I was right next to him, and... It frustrated me because I don't like hearing that kind of language or screaming, but it also saddened me because it's sad to see a person receive an insult like that, especially since their only offense is that they didn't have their car shoot off like a rocket when the light turned green. And it's sad to say that the mistreatment of people is very common in our world. Last week at the hospital, one of the doctors that was overseeing my care commented to me that I was so nice to work with. He said that many people treat hospital staff, even the doctors, with disdain. He said they think they're better than you. He also mentioned people from two states that start with the word new. <laughs> now, we can't blame this all on people from two states. What I'm getting at is that all the people in the world, have an obligation to each other to treat each other with civility. And this especially is true for those of us called by God. As we continue our look at the Ten Commandments this morning, I want us to be reminded of something you're probably already familiar with. I've mentioned it already in the last few weeks. The understanding that the Ten Commandments give us rules to live by in two major categories. The first category have to do with our relationship with God which is regulated in part by the first four commandments. And the second category is our relationship to society or to other individuals, which is commandments five through 10. And this is why Jesus, when he was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment answered by quoting from the Shema, which is located in Deuteronomy six, four and five. And if you don't remember it, let's look at it again. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, with, Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
Then Jesus immediately followed by saying, the second most important command is like it. It's like it. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 22. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I feel like I just heard someone talking about that a moment ago. Brandon said a few words about that. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The greatest commandment is what the Jewish people call the Shema, and that's the to love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like it. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And this also sums up the Ten Commandments. Four commandments that help us love God and six commandments that help us love neighbor. This morning, we're going to begin to focus on the commandments that help us love neighbor. Let us remember that Jesus said that the command to love neighbor is like the command to love God. It's like it. So let us not separate the commandments into two categories in such a strong way that we forget that really the obedience of all of the commandments are about our love for God. After all, you cannot separate these commandments, for if you love God, you will love neighbor. And if you do not love neighbor, you probably don't love God either. It's that simple. Another thought I want you to take away this morning is that God has set an order through these commandments. He has set an order. His order is the perfect order. But what does sin do? Sin always perverts the order that God has put into place. So when God's order says, one of our illustrations for the bond with believers and the Lord is marriage— And he gives us a glimpse of the perfect to come in marriage in our own time, as imperfect as it is. But sin perverts it. God's order is marriage between a man and a woman. And in most cases, this union produces children. But sin perverts this and says marriage can be many other things other than what God said. In God's order, he made them male and female. Sin perverts and says gender is meaningless. In God's order, government is to be made of true servants who do all they can to benefit the people they serve. Sin perverts that. Even politicians who may go in with good ideological ideas and they think they're going to change the world, many of them are completely unable to resist the temptation to use their power for the personal gain. Even the ones who try to start out good. God has ordered that in our lives there are proper authorities. In a town, the mayor and the police and the code enforcement officer are all proper authorities to whom we must submit and pay proper respect. In this state, we have a governor, we have attorney general, and many other officers that we must submit to and have proper respect. In the federal government, we have the three branches. If we desire our government to work well, and function well, we ought to pray for righteous leaders, right? 
in the Supreme Court, in the White House, and in Congress. We must respect these various proper authorities, and each of those also must respect the other branches. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. Each branch has to stay within its own scope of responsibility. But the branches tend to fight with one another, don't they? Who's, who's you're trying to take my power here, and I'm going to take it back? To prepare children to become adults who respect God's order for things, God's people are to teach their children what proper authority is in the home. So when we arrive at the fifth commandment, we can see that part of God's order dictates that children are to honor their parents. Deuteronomy 5.16, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. May seem short and to the point, but there's actually a lot here for us to learn from. And by the way, you have something to learn from this, even if you no longer have your parents around. Or if your kids are out of the house and you think, well, this isn't going to apply to me, I can tune out for a bit. It does apply. Because in this commandment, we can see that while the focus is on children and parents, its scope goes beyond the family and shows us how we're to interact with all authority figures in our lives. It starts at home. We learn the respect for proper authority as children when we learn to honor our parents, and this makes it easier for us to honor and respect other authorities in our lives as we go about becoming adults. Let us first look at the word here translated for us into English, honor. What does this word mean? It means to honor, to respect, to glorify. Think over that for a moment. We are to honor, respect, even glorify our parents. Now, I've seen at times where this is slightly reduced in power because sometimes in the Sunday school lesson, they'll quote Ephesians 6.1 all by itself. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And then they'll leave it there. And then they'll talk about how you need to obey your parents. And as I've heard that taught by itself, that's actually kind of out of context To take the commandment of honoring parents and make it only about obedience is to cheapen it greatly. Why? Because we can be obedient to a proper authority in our lives and still not give that authority honor or respect. A student may obey his teacher when she tells him to take his hat off in class, but at the same time he might think hateful thoughts about her. Or wait until her back is turned and make an obscene gesture. An employee at work may come off break when the boss says it's time to go back to work, but inwardly be committed to laziness for the next hour because they feel they deserved a longer break. A child at home may go to bed when the parent told them to, but secretly stay awake playing or reading for hours after the door was closed. You see, obedience all by itself is not the same as honoring. And Paul did not say, children, obey your parents for this is right and just leave it there. So why would we teach it that way? Let's look at what Paul wrote in full to the children at Ephesus. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And he adds on, because fathers need to hear this sometimes, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
You know, it didn't say mothers do not provoke your children to anger because it's fathers that usually do it more. Um, so when Paul wrote about obedience, it was in the context of loving relationships. He had written to wives and husbands right before that. And right after that, he wrote to masters and slaves. It's a whole section on Christian relationships. So there's great guidance there in Ephesians 5 and 6. So Paul writes to children to be obedient, and then he quotes from the commandment, honor your father and mother. So there's two imperatives that Paul is giving. That is a command that he's giving to the children of Ephesus. Obey and honor. Those are the two forceful words in that passage. But obedience, honor usually includes obedience, but obedience by itself is not necessarily linked to honor, but Paul here does link it so that it's clear to all. And Paul points out that this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. In this phrase, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land, there's both a practical and a spiritual element to the promise. Practically, if you honor your parents and you live this out as individuals and a society, your society will do well. On Mother's Day, I preached a sermon called God's Church is Pro-Life, and I mentioned this is not only about the pro-life for the unborn, but pro-life for the handicapped, pro-life for the sick, pro-life for the elderly. And when a society practices this attitude of honoring others, and especially honoring parents and others in authority, that society will flourish. If you model honoring your parents to your children, doesn't that make it more likely that your children will honor you? And who among us does not hope for our children to pay us honor, especially as we age and may need physical help someday, right? So the promise is practical in that sense. If your society chooses to love neighbor over self, then the society will be healthy, it'll flourish. But the opposite can happen as well. A society that does not learn to respect parents will not respect any other authority either. Nor will it respect the person in front of us at the traffic light whose foot is too slow to hit the gas pedal when the light turns green. That society will also not respect the police or the government. And it really becomes like the hell of C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce with people avoiding each other more and more because they can't stand each other. In that story, Lewis imagines hell as this place where over time people move further and further away from one another, desiring loneliness over the company of the miserable. It's the opposite of misery loves company. It's that misery loves loneliness. This promise is also spiritual. You see, it's an act of spiritual worship to be obedient to God. And when we are obedient to God, that comes with spiritual rewards. So the society that teaches its children to live in respect and honor parents and others will have spiritual blessing. So really, this command is meant to be expanded, though, beyond children and parents, in, in my opinion, and I'll share with some other opinions that in time from church people that have thought so. Um, but 
I believe it is expanded to respect for one's elders in general, as well as respect for proper authority. Remember that it is in God's order of things that we can find that we find the traditional family, right? He ordained marriage. He ordained that children would be raised to love him by parents. Let's think for a moment again about that word honor. Brevard S. Childs summarized the range of meaning for this context and said, To honor is to prize highly, to show respect, to glorify and exalt. However, it has nuances of caring for and showing affection. It is a term frequently used to describe the proper response to God and is akin to worship. Moreover, the parallel command in Leviticus 19.3 actually uses the term fear, give reverence to, which is otherwise reserved for God. Moreover, according to the interpretation commentary, it goes beyond just one's own parents. And it says this, the Westminster Larger Catechism states by father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. Martin Luther, in his large catechism, states it explicitly, out of the authority of parents, all other authority is derived and developed. But it is the case that the filial responsibility to honor and respect parents in some sense is in some sense the starting point of the human experience with persons who exercise a proper authority over others by reason of relationship, wisdom, and experience. These may be teachers, employers, or civil authorities. Recognizing the need for proper respect of parents can at least open up in the community of faith a conversation about what sorts of relationships merit similar attitudes of honoring and exalting others and what is the content and manifestation of such serious respect. Now, we have to understand not just what the commandment says, but how serious God took it. About honoring our parents, God was very serious. He was so serious that the punishment for rebellion against a parent could ultimately be the death penalty. Deuteronomy 21, starting at verse 18, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out, of the, out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not list, obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Note, this isn't saying a child should be killed the first time they lip off. This is speaking of a chronic rebellion in the heart of a son. Unrepentant. But note the responsibility of the parents, though they discipline him. So this is not a punishment for a child who was never corrected and he turned out bad because no one ever disciplined him. These parents have to demonstrate that they had tried to discipline. And after this, they would turn him over to the men of the city who would stone him. Now, I don't know if any parents actually took advantage of this law. 
We don't have any recorded cases of that. It would seem to be pretty extreme, right? Maybe a parent, even though their son might be rebellious, loves him enough where I'm not going to turn him in like that. He'll get stoned. And not in the Colorado way, right? However, we can see from this statute that God took very seriously the requirement of a son to obey and respect his parents. The relationship between parent and child is only below our relationship to God in his order of things. All other relationships come after. It is a parent who is supposed to raise their child, not the government. It is a parent who is to teach their child about God. It is a parent who is responsible for their child learning how to live well in the society. In our fallen world, many parents have given that duty over to the government trusting the schools and the system to raise their kids to fit into the society. But God's order of things is that the family is to be the primary place of learning. Learning about God, learning how to live with other people, or put another way, learning to love God and love people, that is a lesson that's best left for parents to teach. And the consequences of that not happening, well, just look at the news and you'll see. Well, you may say, well, the example of the rebellious son, that's so extreme. I can't imagine anyone had done that. It must be just some kind of weird thing that was obscure there, Um, perhaps. But it's not only the rebellious son who God puts in danger of losing his life. Exodus 21, 17 says, whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever curses or dishonors their father or mother shall be put to death. Oh, but you might say that's just there in Exodus. Then Deuteronomy 27, 16 says, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. And Leviticus 29 says, For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. In fact, even if a child were to hit their parent, the penalty would apply. Exodus 21, 15, Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. You can see then that this commandment was not a mere suggestion or some ideal we're supposed to think about. It was to be practiced and enforced. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. How different our world would look today if every son and daughter knew and kept this commandment. If they took it seriously and realized the implications, like Luther said, go far beyond the family and extend to all those in proper authority over us. If we learned to honor our parents and then learned to honor our teachers and the principal at school in the same way. If we then learned to honor our employer and the manager. If we then learned to honor the police officer and those in elected office and learned to honor judges and the judicial system. If we learned how to honor every proper authority, including in the church. And the Bible has much to say throughout about honoring those in proper authority. Paul wrote in Romans 13, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. 
For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, everyone must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I think I shared this with some of you a couple months ago. I attended my first HOA meeting. And there I saw, being mistreated and berated, several people who were voluntarily sitting on the board. They're serving volunteers. They work hours, and they're just, they're volunteers. And they were being accused of malice. They were actually being accused of malice because people didn't agree with the decision they had made about whether we'd have cable or Wi-Fi. They were called names, yelled at. And yet, I believe even on the HOA board, those are leaders who deserve respect. Even when we disagree with their decisions. And Hebrews tells us this about leaders in the faith. Let them do this with joy. Do what with joy? Keep watch over your souls. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. In other words, if there is someone in proper authority over you, do you want them serving with constant frustration or anger because they're always being mistreated and maligned? Or do you want them to serve with joy? So we submit to godly leadership in the church, even when we may not agree with every decision. And by the way, I I don't know if I've said it here. I've said it many times at my previous church, that if you see your pastor not submitting to authority, then you don't ought to submit to his authority either. But I submit to the authority of our district leaders, of our, of our national denomination. They are my authority. Okay? And I also submit to the elders of this church. If you ever see me not submitted, then you don't need to submit to the, el- to the leadership I offer. But... We all need to submit to authority, every one of us. We submit to all authority because no authority exists other than what God has instituted. And the first institution where we learn to be subject to authority is in the home. And thus we have the fifth commandment, to honor our father and our mother. I must briefly mention where obedience to parents may not always honor them, just as the apostles of Christ said they had to put obedience to God over that of men. It is clear as well that obedience to parents ends if that obedience would put us at odds with God's law. If your parent demands you do something that is clearly against God's law, you cannot comply. 
Better to obey God and suffer the consequences from your parents than to obey a parent's sinful command and suffer the wrath of God. Furthermore, a parent has to realize the limits of the honor they expect to receive. A parent has primary responsibility for a child while they're a child. But when the child becomes an adult, the parent can no longer dictate everything they do. A parent can't force marriage or career or geography on their adult child. However, in honoring our father and mother, we should give due attention to their advice and guidance. Since most parents truly have the best interests of their children in mind. But hopefully, if you've been raising your child to love God and love neighbor throughout their whole life, they will not depart from it when they become adults. So let us commit to obeying the fifth commandment and being sure to raise our children to know it and obey it. As Paul pointed out, it's the first commandment with a promise. Not only will your family benefit from obedience to this command, the entire society can benefit. This is God's order of things. That children should honor their parents. Yet this is another one of those points of God's order that's perverted by sin that our society today often tells us the very opposite. Instead of children honoring their parents, it has become parents constantly honoring their children. I continue to be impressed by the many creative ways that people have found to constantly honor their children. There used to be, for most people, one or two graduation ceremonies in your lives, high school and college. Or if you had a PhD, maybe you had a third one. But now there are not only graduation ceremonies for kids at every grade level at some schools, but additional award ceremonies throughout the year. At many levels, we are encouraged to place children at the top of the honor in our world. Do it for the children. Let's make sure we're honoring the children because their precious self-esteem might suffer if they go too long between public recognition ceremonies. What did we teach our children through this? That they should expect to be honored even for minor accomplishments. And what happens when they become adults and find out there isn't so much honor to go around, they fall apart. Yet, if we kept the fifth commandment, Children would grow up properly honoring adults and those in authorities, and they would find in this a stability in the world that they're part of. They would not see people disrespecting the police or disrespecting other authority figures. Or if they did see it, it would be a horrible thing in their eyes and something unusual or even crazy, but certainly not normal. Unfortunately, it is normal. So how are you and I doing with this command? I mentioned earlier that one of my doctors was thankful that I treated him with respect. And as I was sitting there all alone in the hospital because I was in a quarantine room, (laughs) I thought about that. Is it possible he took a little better care of me because of that? I think it's very likely. In fact, he kind of told Janelle that on the phone. (laughs) Do you think it's also possible that someone being very rude and condescending may not be taken care of quite the same. Now, I know doctors have an oath to treat all fairly, but they're human. So, if we want to live long and well, we honor our father and our mother. This week, take care to consider this commandment 
and how you may need to learn better obedience to it in respect for your own parents, but also for other people in authority. Remember that these commands, while they do relate to our relationships with people, ultimately our obedience to these commands reflect our love for God. So love God, love your parents, love the people you have a privilege to interact with in your life. Honor those in proper authority, knowing that when you do that, you are honoring the God who ordained it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. The challenge that it is before us, if we're all honest, Lord, we might say, if we spoke the deep, dark secrets of our heart, we often want the honor for ourselves. And Lord, you command us to honor others. You've commanded us to love you with everything we have. And then we have this second command. The second greatest commandment is like it. To love neighbor as ourself. It's an awesome challenge, Lord, because we are selfish creatures. But I pray, Lord, that in Oasis Church, we would better demonstrate all the time the love of Christ that shows to the world through our keeping of your commandments. May we be a people who love you and show it by obeying. In Jesus' name, amen.